0: Hey, it's Ben here. And in addition to this podcast, I also teach Microsoft Excel online. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information, and use the coupon code Failure for twenty percent off of the lifetime access to the course. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information as to why it's so important to improve your Excel skills and unlock your inner Excel ninja. Thanks. Hey there. This is Ben Courier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast. We'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Hey there, friends of failure, and welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with Dominic Damaskey. Hey there, Dominic. How are you?
1: Hey, brother. How are you doing today?
0: I'm doing great. I realized I did not ask you how to pronounce that, and I'm hoping that I got it right.
1: You did good, Dominic Damasky. Um, you. you got it.
0: <laughs> nice. Um, I could I could certainly applaud all the things you've done, but I'd I'd like to hear what your version of a brag or a shameless self promotion would be without me giving an intro to the audience. So tell them what you want them to know, and and we'll start from there.
1: It's funny because. You will, to ask me about a shameless self-promotion, you're going to struggle to get that out of me, my man. So what I I do at my root by day is I have a company called Motivation Champs, and we share inspiration, smiles, and positivity 24-7 and really help other people share their story. If you want to share that you saw a pretty sunset today, we give you a platform. Check out Motivation Champs. We'll help you share it. If you, if you want to share that your kid got an A, I'd love to help you share it. But then if there's all of a sudden, if 120 characters on social media is not enough for you to share your story, we help people write books and screenplays and stuff like that and share their story in other ways. So that's the shameless plug. Thank you.
0: Okay. And that was mostly related to other people's books, but you do write quite a lot yourself. Is that right?
1: Yeah, I, I do. And I have over the years. And then over the years, I kind of realized, say, man, that everybody has a story and I'm probably less ego driven than I was 20 years ago, where 20 years ago, I might've thought, damn, I did this or I I sold this widget or had whatever accomplishment that I thought I was working towards. And now it's like, hey, wait a minute, Ben has a story or these guys have a story, this lady has a story. And that's kind of the evolution of the business and me as a person.
0: I heard something Seth Godin said recently, which is that usually the author's best-selling book is not their favorite. I don't know if that's the case with you or if you have maybe, or maybe you have a, uh, a favorite that did not do well at all that you still have a, a very fond spot for. Is there anything like that?
1: That's really a unique question. So um, damn you. Can I just pass? No, I I wrote some books early on, like the first book I ever wrote. um, I signed with a publisher, I I probably made every mistake there was as far as being a writer, as far as how I signed with the publisher, how I gave up all my rights and stuff like that. So that also led me into this publishing company because I didn't want people to make those same mistakes so just recently i wrote a book about my mom's journey with alzheimer's and it kind of collided with 2020 so that's the most personal book and i hadn't written a book for years and that so stepping out again and almost writing a a love story which is something i i'm not qualified to write love stories but this was a story that i wanted to tell and about a mother and son and So I'm passionate about that. I'm passionate about them all, but that's got me when you ask a question like that. Yeah. I'd like to mention it.
0: Well, so when you originally came up with the idea for the book, how did it change from that point to what the end product was?
1: Hmm. Uh, How it changed was I probably started writing cathartically and my mom had about a 10 year battle and she's still going through it with Alzheimer's and Unfortunately, she uh, had a had a. My parents lived in a farmhouse, beautiful farmhouse on the edge of town, white white fence, with a barn and perfect rose bushes. And before COVID, they have a lot of steps and things like that. And she had a fall, and her Alzheimer's was taking a lot of things away from her memory and she didn't know us anymore. And it was robbing her of some dignity and things like that. But she took a fall and me and my dad sat there. Like he called me and I rushed out to his house and she was, we didn't know she fell at the time, but she was basically there in a catatonic state. And we had to make a decision to call nine-one-one. And when we called 911, we knew she was never coming back to that house again, right? Because of the steps, because of the my dad working six days a week, um, being in his late 70s, it wasn't safe for her there. So we had to make this decision to act, take action. And so when you ask about writing the book, so that was early January 2020, and we made that decision. And we did not know that two months later, COVID was going to hit and all the horrors and everything that came along with that combined into that story that I told. So it really was a story of my mom's, God bless her soul, her Alzheimer's colliding with a global pandemic.
0: I know this is maybe a strange question, but do you think in any way that it's kind of a blessing that she doesn't have to experience that kind of thing, or is it, uh, there's no way to kind of put a positive spin on at least uh, how it must be to live with, with Alzheimer's.
1: I I will say, and this is something I I appreciate the question and I've thought about this daily. My mom was, is the sweetest person. She would have hated 2020. She would have hated the mask wearing. She would have hated the political division. She would have hated the, police first, the blacks and blacks first police, that was not something my mom understood, right, or a way that she thought and she would have, it would have, it would have crushed her. And being in the home during COVID, in a lot of ways, she was protected. Now, I have tremendous guilt because I made decisions to put her in that home, right, where people get divided from their families, you're not able to see them, and things like that. But It took nine months for COVID to break into that nursing home. So my mom that had a weaker immune system and things like that, she was in a lot of, she wasn't falling down. She was eating more regularly and COVID was kept outside for a long time.
0: So she was probably better taken care of. You just felt bad because it felt like you were kind of giving up in some sense.
1: Oh, absolutely. And and it was... Could I have done more? Maybe I should have had her live in my house. Maybe I should have figured out how to give her 24-hour care myself. I, I have this, why I wrote about unconditional love is because my mom was always there for me from the time when I was a little kid with big teeth like this that was getting beat up all the time or getting spit on by other people. My mom was there for me, protecting me. So I, even to this day, have to do whatever it takes to protect her so uh, just letting somebody else handle it and not being able to get back in those doors those were intense times
0: i yeah i can only imagine is that what you write about in my name is sharon or do you stop at a certain point in time
1: i do i do write about it but what i really wanted to back to i guess who i am as a person what i really wanted the book to be about was about my mom, that she was more than a victim of disease. So as I believe that everybody has a story to tell, and however you need to tell that story, whether it's through a podcast, whether it's um, writing your story, whether it's on social media, you should tell that story. Video, get out there and tell it. Even if you need to use a megaphone, get out and tell that story. Now, my mom, she was no longer able to tell her story. And here I am a guy that helps people tell their stories, help people write books, does video. And I wasn't sharing her story. I wasn't helping her. So I felt that I had a duty to share her story. So I wanted really people to know who she was from a little girl to growing up in New Mexico and the the things that she had seen from Jim Crow laws to moving to Pittsburgh, where I live today. But those are the kind of things that we talk about. And, and COVID is a
0: backstory. Did you find out a lot of new things that you didn't learn about your mother from probably your dad, I would imagine, or did most of this come from your own memory? From my
1: dad, from my uncles, from picture boxes, from friends of hers, from, from New Mexico, you would. So a lot of it was uncovering. See what really the premise is, and here's this is a picture of it. And I, it, the picture is me on the front looking through boxes, and I'm looking through boxes and uncovering memories of my mom. And I had to look through the boxes because Alzheimer's had stole her, stolen her ability to probably make fiscal decisions and things like that. And she was stockpiling every bit of information that you would need to know about her to help her. It was all hidden in places. And so as I really started off looking to just help figure out how to pay for her care and I uncovered all these stories and pictures and uh, a mother that I did not know. And that was So trying to trying to tell those trying to wrap that all into one story was that
0: yeah it must be interesting when you know she can no longer remember these things and then you are basically trying to do file retrieval of her memories via outside of her her you know own experience trying to piece together what happened from stories and bits and pieces from certain folks you know rather than necessarily uh, who knows which way she would have told it but I'm sure you got a deeper version of it and some showed us that of her that she probably wouldn't be, I mean, wouldn't be confident enough to show the world.
1: I think she would be humbled and thankful, you know, and probably just give me a big hug for doing it, but would never. I, I really do believe that we all have goals in life and I truly believe my mom's, Hopes, dreams, goals were to see my sister, my dad, her friends, me accomplish their dreams and be happy. And really, she was the kind of person that took a back seat. On her, took a back seat because she wanted to. It wasn't because she. It wasn't because anybody forced her to. It was because she was the back seat was so she could be behind you, pushing you forward. I'm just. I'm. I'm grateful that I was able to you know I'm, I'm who I am because of her so thankful for that
0: yeah I mean it takes a lot to sacrifice your own life for life of your kids in whatever way I mean I can only imagine I just have a dog but uh, even taking care of him and myself is a challenge sometimes so uh, I can only imagine with kids and all this pressure especially when you're trying to be very uh, self-sacrificing that it can be a lot and so the fact that she seemed to do it and stay strong through it is uh, certainly really impressive.
1: Yeah, oh, thank you.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I was going to ask you, uh, my favorite one, not to derail this too much, no, is don't, don't Double bread the Fish, yeah. uh, which I hope was the one you had a problem with at first. But it says a tale of failure, persistence, and finding success. And I hope, like me, you hadn't found success yet and you also <laughs> were hoping that your failures were behind you. But uh, I was curious about how that one got got made.
1: You, you are correct. And I, you're the failure guy, but I like to say that I have a master's in failure. I'm a, I'm a person, I, I will put myself out there and try, right. Mm-hmm. And I'll try and try and try. So that book was basically about failure, persistence, and never giving up. And I had, I had been a restaurant owner and wasn't so great about it. And looking back Fifteen years ago, I can look back at my restaurant career and say I could have done this better, this better, this better. I don't have any ill will over how it went, but I ended up losing about a half a million dollars. I was in a government repayment plan for about seven years, garnished wages, back taxes, all chasing to chase my dream. So, I was a fan of um Ogmandino and Del Carnegie, and had studied those books, and. I started to think that I had something to say. And after going broke in the, the restaurant business, the first job I had was a career in sales. I sold yellow page ads, like door to door in small towns selling yellow page ads. And we were selling them right when like the internet first took off and we would be like, Oh, that internet thing, that's not going to take off. (laughs) You don't, you don't want to invest in the internet. You need this ad in the yellow pages. Right. And they, they were big on writing your goals down. And when I started to write the goals, I like to say that, uh, the goals became like sentences, sentences, you know, paragraphs, paragraphs, chapters, all of a sudden on a notebook, I wrote first book. And I started to think that I had a story to tell, but it was different. It was about going broke. It was about getting beat up. It was about uh, getting cut from the team, that kind of thing. And that's what Don't Double Bread the Fish was about. So the lessons of it still stand, but I made every publishing mistake. I wasn't a great writer. and Not that I am now, but you do something for 15 years, I have this belief of the rule of 10,000, that you put 10,000 hours into anything, you will be good at it, right? And so that's how fast can you get your 10,000 hours in, even if it's door knocking or sales or podcast, how many, how quickly can you get 10,000 hours in? Can you do it? Can I get my 10,000 in more than my quicker than my competition? And that's, that's probably how my world uh, works to this point. I, I'll, I'll fail at a thousand things. right? And I know that, but I will persist and take those lumps and learn from them.
0: Yeah. I've, I've read tons of self-help books and I haven't been able to develop a lot of the good practices, but I have failed quite a lot that I figured embracing failure is definitely something they all recommend. So I could, I could definitely build that into my schedule because I had no shortage of, of like, different ways of failing but i also realized mine was mainly bumping up against corporate america and having issues there i wanted to interview other people to see you know what kind of failures they were experiencing because i realized i only knew one variety and i really wanted to to understand more about you know different industries what can go wrong i i really haven't interviewed a, a publisher slash author really uh too much there was an author most recently but um but the fact that you know both the publishing side and uh, writing is uh, is probably really interesting when you get new clients because you can kind of see where the story may or may not go. And I'm sure you get even a little bit emotionally invested in it and they take it away in a way you don't want and you <laughs> might uh, struggle with that. I'm not sure. I'm just totally guessing as to what the, it might be like. But from the publishing side, you want to say a little bit of what that's like?
1: Yeah, I, I would love to tackle this. Because writing is an intimate thing, right? And you're, I always say to my authors, it's your book, your baby. So you have to put out the book that speaks to you. But having done it hundreds of times now, you can see certain holes in a book, in the development, in the, where they're going. And a lot of when you write a book, why did you write it? Why are you writing it? What's the message you're trying to get across in letting the author know? Because some authors write a book to give to their grandkids. They want they want 10 gold plated books to sit around the house and give to their grandkids. That's very honorable, right? Because they knew why they did it. They did it for them. Some people write a book to Launch their podcast career, to launch their speaking career, to make all kinds of money, to whatever those reasons are. Well, you better know why you wrote that book. You because six months, are you gonna want to promote it? Are you gonna wanna go door to door? Are you gonna wanna knock on those doors? You're gonna wanna go on podcast shows, all those things. Are you gonna be comfortable sharing this message? if it was a cathartic reason that you wrote are you going to be comfortable answering questions about alzheimers are you going to be comfortable asking answering questions about failure those kind of things that people might ask you and so it is really i love to get a feel for the author and what what are you trying to accomplish where do you want to go with this and we dig into that so any of my authors listening i hope they are they i i sometimes apologize i'm not trying to beat you up i'm not beating you up here i'm just asking you i want to know and we go over those questions right add ad nauseum to really so they can when they do put out that book that unlike don't double bread the fish it is a book that you're proud of 10 years later i'm proud of the message you know, never give up, don't quit, that kind of thing. Uh, put your best foot forward. I'm proud of the messages, but the book doesn't stand because I didn't have it has the holes, it has the problems and issues that had somebody given me a big hug, or had I accepted feedback, I would have caught a lot of those things.
0: You think that's one of the tougher things as an author is taking feedback?
1: Hell yeah. And I love red marks on a page, right? I said, I, CAC, Bethany, those, some of my editors that they make me better. So if you're listening, I appreciate you guys. I appreciate the red marks because they're making me stronger. That work's going to be better. So that when I put it out to the world, you only get one chance to make that first impression. They're those people. They liked you They like you, they trust you, they buy from you. Sometimes they say that in sales. So they liked you and they trusted you. And then you put out this inferior product because you didn't have the right team around you, right? Do you get a second chance? So I like to think about in in Hollywood, we do some screenplays and stuff and I want as much feedback as I can because in Hollywood, if they're gonna launch a sitcom or something, they have 30 of the smartest people in the room. Right. And they add punch, punch, punch up this document. Let's put more humor in. Let's put more love in. Let's put more this. Let's you're too hard here. You're too soft here. You're this. So accepting that feedback makes your product strong. Now, back to our original topic on this, your book, your baby, you still make the final decision. Right. Because it's yours. You can say you should never let anybody make those decisions for you. So you should review them, accept them, consume them, and then make a decision on, oh, maybe I maybe I should. Maybe this word was too harsh. Maybe I was a little too hard on mom. Maybe I was a little too hard on my ex boss. Maybe I shouldn't have said this like this. Maybe there's a analogy I could use that isn't from a 1990s uh tv show that people don't know about right now so there's different things like that that eh, maybe it would make your work a little bigger and we dig in i could go on this subject all day long so don't let me get into the weeds over on how i dig into the story
0: oh i don't mind i think the the struggle would probably be finding people who you trust in that closer circle who are you're going to show the first iterations of the book too, because that's really where that feedback is going to probably have the most impact and be important to get the right kind of feedback.
1: Yeah. And you need multiple and you need to know that some people are just going to look at it for errors. I remember when I was in college, I had a teacher, his name is David Guo, and I had never written anything at the time and started to tell some real stories that I believed in and I wasn't a writer struggled as a student right I never paid attention that kind of thing but now I'm starting to be authentic and tell my story and one time this teacher put the paper up on the wall in front of the class with like three other ones mine has red marks all over it and he gives it a good grade and he says to the class he said I put this one up here red marks all over it because this guy has something to say and to this day, okay. Once somebody has something to say, you can figure out. You can get the editors. You can. So some people get lost in the weeds of, and not the, all that has value. But this person has something to say. Let's develop this. Let's bring it out. Let's let's figure out how to give me more. I want to know it all. Tell me about that. So a lot of times, an author knows the story in their head. This is the biggest authors, anybody listening that's writing, I think this is the biggest tip you could have as you go down this path. An author knows the story in their head, right? You've been, like your license plate used to say failure. I've seen the picture. Your license plate used to say failure. And I know you were in a wreck that with the license plate that says failure. This is interesting as heck, right? So I want, tell me that story. Take me back to the day. Take me back to how you were feeling. Take me back to what led you to get a license plate that said failure. Take me back to where you were going that day. And see, you know the story so well. You might say, I was in a wreck. I was in a wreck. My license plate said failure, right? There's so much more to that story. And because we know it, we think we told that story because we see it. Oh, but the author misses that opportunity to give me all that detail and the the juice, the stuff is it is in those details
0: absolutely have you ever had the pleasure of reading bird by bird bird by bird no oh it's by i think anne lamont it's a book about writing and advice for writing and she said uh write every day and shitty first drafts i think were her two biggest pieces of advice but um the way she talks about writing is just uh really interesting i think as a writer you'd get far much more out of it than than i did but i've already listened to it a couple times and so i'd highly recommend it i mentioned it on a previous podcast it's just uh, i'd never thought about the process of writing a book and you know what that would be like and how to teach people how to write a book which right. sure. is
1: yeah and and that's really what so a lot of times when i deal with an author when we first have a meeting i'll say send me what you got send me what you got and they'll be like well i only have one page okay somebody else has 140,000 words but once i see that i know where we need to go, okay, what kind of development, what kind of teaching, what kind of oh they they can do it they're they have it written they also those kind of things it's seeing that and then realizing okay what's the best route to get them to where they want to go
0: I'm wondering you remember, you remembered his full name if that teacher didn't say that to you, do you think you would have been a writer? do you think if he didn't make a big deal of it
1: It's interesting because even to this day, I probably don't consider myself a writer. And
0: you are a writer, just by the way, so you can here's that external uh, validation if you need it. <laughs> okay,
1: hey, thank you. What I have, because my story was about failure, and that's why I, when we met through Clubhouse and I saw the failure guy, I'm like, I got a back channel. This guy, I'm interested. Right? I heard you talk and stuff like that. So my story was all about is failure, and I told that different ways and things like that. So I do think, I think I would have done it. And I think later on going back when I look at encouraging other people and seeing uh, maybe people that didn't, maybe what he said stuck with me and did give me the courage when I started writing, but I was an avid reader of, and I still am of inspiration positivity and I study Carnegie. Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, Abraham Lincoln, even the Constitution. Now, as I get more into it, I I need to learn from all sources. Right. So now give me a book on Obama or Reagan. I'm reading both of them because I need to consume and learn. Oh, it's interesting. The detail that Obama talks about shaking this guy's hand or ronald reagan telling about when him and his dad when he used to go into his dad's office on a friday in 1930 it's interesting so i'm reading them not only for their leadership qualities and their story and things like that but also um from a storytelling perspective
0: so maybe you still would have been A writer, you still would have got your story out. Maybe you wouldn't love red marks quite as much. Yeah, that's
1: a good point. And and I like when you asked about that. Yes, red marks suck. It's when you first get them, it's hard because you write that and you think it's perfect. You bared your soul on this page and you think it's perfect. And I sometimes I will come across people that don't want to change a comma, don't want to change this, this it, and that's that's tough. And Right, it's, And so I try to have these conversations and stuff, but some people are so married to as it is. And maybe they wrote um, Great Expectations or Catcher in the Rye and this book is perfect. It's possible. But uh, I, I think you may want to consider, but it is tough to look at those red marks. And I think it's an experience thing knowing you get the best team around you and take that so like you said well you want to get it out to as many people as you can but you also got to watch that you don't get discouraged by somebody that doesn't see your grand vision that gets stuck in well you don't have a comma there there wasn't 10 commas or you didn't tell this whole story i you jumped around somebody told me the other day this guy jumps around all the time i don't even know what he's saying yeah, but I read it and it was brilliant. He just needed a chapter each time he jumped around, right? Where he had he had it all, he had what should have been 15 chapters and two chapters, right? So he's jumping around so fast that it, it was hard to follow. Where man, take this for six more months and work on each one of these. We, give me this on each of these chapters and he would have a brilliant book. And so sometimes somebody that reads it you know, right now, it is raw right now it is, but the process is going to clean that up along the way.
0: Yeah. Cause a lot of it is not about just getting the information out of your head, but also, you know, creating and relieving tension and doing all sorts of interesting things that you wouldn't think to do if you were just recounting your memories. I imagine yeah.
1: Absolutely. A lot is going back. Hey, you, that day you have writer's block. I tell people to go back in to what you've already written and add detail, go back in. So here you think you're done, right? You think you're done, print it out and read it again. Like once you think you're done, I have (laughs) so many ways to go back to that thing and do it again. Right. And now some people are going to say, that's funny. Sometimes I'll, I'll read a book from that somebody sent me, and I'll say, "Oh, this was interesting about the kitchen, and uh, what uh, this happened there." And they said, "Did I write that? I don't remember that, right?" Because you haven't looked at your book for six months, right? Each time, you would have known, you would have developed, and then it would have been stronger.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard enough to write it the first time. Part of people are like, "All right, I did the thing. Can you?" you know, only from here. I don't want to,
1: you're so close. You're so close to the finish line. And that's where I deadlines are the biggest artificial deadlines are the biggest hazard to book, right? Right. You set this, you set this day. I like right now you could put out a book by Christmas, right? Right now you could put out a book, whatever the date is, it's Easter, whatever it is. You could get this book out in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, it's too quick, right? You people, there's going to be ads selling 30 days. I'll get your book out. Okay. Right. But you're risking too much. Risk reward isn't worth it. And that that's what I'm saying. Like you're sacrificing a round of editing. You're sacrificing thinking about the cover. You're sacrificing developing the your story. You're sacrificing resting, taking a week off from that, what you just wrote and then going back to it and one of the people that i've always had write read my books early on that i really trust is my dad and i'll send it to my dad at some point i'll put (laughs) the nicest form i could get for him in big print and he'll tell me his thoughts and he'll say in this book and i had this book the journey of a grunt And it's about every bad job, task, or chore you ever had and what you could learn from it. And at one point, I made a historical reference to the Germans and things like that. And my dad didn't like it, right? And so I have to look at it and say, is this something that I want? Another time I had somebody reading it and there was a reference about Jack and Rose on the Titanic. And... This was a reference from the movie, the Titanic, and the person reading it said, Dominic, do you know that Jack and Rose weren't really on the Titanic? And so they they missed the reference. Now, I got to look at it and say, "Okay, I was joking here, but it's I have to give thought to maybe maybe it was a dumb reference, right? Sometimes we're not as funny or as clever as we think we are. So it's good to get that feedback.
0: I like that that's one of your methods of verifying something is to go ask your dad, considering that's another one of your books. I didn't know if that came from that process or if it was unrelated to the fact that you also get uh, author advice or writing advice.
1: No, it's you saying that is unique we all, if we are, if we can, we are fortunate that we have dad around at some point in our lives to go ask your dad. And that was the premise behind go ask your dad. So in that, I always thought that I wasn't qualified to give fatherly advice. I do my best, man. And fatherhood is not easy. And so what I did in that book is I recruited 21 other dads to help me write a book on fatherhood and these guys they're from all over the all over the country and they from different walks of life and they really share their story and sometimes they were the dad being asked sometimes they asked their dad sometimes they even asked their mom because dad wasn't around in their situation and so they all um gave great uh chapters they each wrote a chapter or a couple chapters about Their experience with fatherhood.
0: How'd you come up with that idea to do like an anthology of other fathers or, you know, kids and fathers or sons and fathers, however you want to phrase it.
1: Okay. This is, this is interesting. I I hope it's interesting, but I was talking to one of my dear friends, I was struggling with being a dad and my dear friend, Brian P. Swift, he's, he's, just the best he's a super inspiring dude he is a c5 c6 quad he broke his neck playing high school football and brian has three adopted children he hunts he fishes he has a non-profit he writes books we got screenplay stuffs together so just this guy's doing it all so one day i'm telling him a story about struggling with just the day-to-day of this and that of being a dad you know and he said, you know what you need to do, Dominic? He said, you need to pull your child aside next time this situation arises and give him a big hug and say, I love you. And it was just such simple advice. I said, Brian, we should write a book. <laughs> and he's like, he said, I'm in. So <laughs> instantly I hung up the phone and I think that night I called a guy, another guy. A friend of mine, Joe Walco, Joe, Joe had um, lost his wife and was a, a dad on his own, just figuring it out, right? He had been in the corporate world and was just trying to figure it out. So, and I knew he wrote some and I called him up and I said, hey, we're writing. I said, I'm writing a book about fatherhood with a bunch of guys. You in? You interested? He said, Yeah he said, yeah, let's do it. So now I got two. I said, okay. He's like, I think I have somebody that would be interested. And then that's how it started. And then we started thinking, okay. And how we did it was we said, ask somebody, the recruitment went like this, ask somebody that you think is a good dad that you look to. And so this all of a sudden became 20 guys from really across the country, from Texas, LA, wherever. Yeah.
0: That's really cool. Did you have an overarching narrative that brought it all together? Or did it was it really individualistic uh, chapters?
1: Yeah, the, the it it was. What advice would you What advice would you want to give? What advice did you learn? So, for instance, one of the gentlemen, Weedle Johnson, he was in prison. He never had a dad. His mother was addicted to drugs when he was a young child. His dad was in prison. Um, His brother was murdered in front of him. And before the age of 21, Weedle had had three children and in a craps game gone wrong, there was um, somebody died and Weedle was found guilty of murder. So from prison, Weedle shared his story of fatherhood of the man that he was 40 years after the incident, but also and he do, he isn't looking for um, sympathy or he knows he was in the gangs. He knows that the choices he made were wrong at the time. And, um, but he wanted to share a message to his children. One that the dad, that what he didn't learn and what he wished he would have learned. So that each father, one of the gentlemen told a story, his dad was a military man like four-star general, that kind of like that kind of a man among men, but he was the world's worst dad. Cause he wasn't there. He was a womanizer. He left his family, basically homeless a few times. And this guy in his story, he said, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree unless it wants to. And he was saying it was a choice to have a different path. So each, each gentleman really, Tells a different story, but advice that fathers and even daughters down the road could um, learn from and implement in their own lives.
0: That sounds pretty cool. It reminds me, I, I've got a bunch of different podcast ideas, not just this one specifically, but one of them was going to be called My Three Dads. And it was going to be me. I have no kids. So I'd be the one who's guessing what I would tell my kid. Uh, another co-host of mine it would have been a friend who had a child. And then the third dad would be a guest on the show. So whether it's a, could be even be a mom, but someone who doesn't have any ideas, someone who's just finding out for the first time, cause you just had a kid and then more experienced people coming in over time. But it sounds like you did at least did something similar already.
1: I, I like your idea. I like, I like your idea. I say, go for it.
0: Yeah. I got too many ideas at the moment, but uh, it, it I already have the website and everything. I just got to, uh, forget i even thought of it because otherwise it'll probably take up too much time so i did have a question i thought you might know totally random back in the day i got a poetry book and i thought i was super special because they put my poem in the book and i imagine it's a thing where they just had a spot where they put whoever's poem (laughs) was buying it and like blended it into a book of poems because it seemed like it was too easy i was i was in my teens you know do you know anything remotely like that where they would basically have a fully written book of poems and have like what i imagine would be one slot where they put in the the dumb guy who thinks he's in it and they print that page with his on it anything like that
1: did they did they make you pay or what was their angle
0: i had to pay yep and i got my book and it did have my poem maybe it's all a bunch of suckers who paid
1: um, and that's so there's a lot of unscrupulous people out there preying on the hopes and dreams of people to get them in a book like that so some people are paying thousands and thousands and thousands to be in these anthology books and promised crazy things so i do see the value in some people don't want to write you know a 300 page book some people have one poem so it could be if and I don't know what you paid at the time or anything like that. But oh, it
0: was no nothing substantial, but it was in like the early 2000s. Yeah. So like before the internet was a really big thing. I just assumed there's no way that it was legitimate. But I only asked if you'd run across that thing because I ju- it sparked a memory in me of even having this book. And I kept wondering if I was tricked.
1: It's every it's every day and there. I will tell you there's some people doing some good work out there, like even a chicken soup for the soul is basically that type of book the anthology books like you mm-hmm. said but then there are people that are just doing some uh terrible things and so i would can anybody considering that study that contract see see what the network is hey if all of a sudden if michael jordan wanted to do an anthology book with you uh, and
0: or be a guest on this podcast even
1: <laughs> yeah right you you might figure out whatever to get michael jordan in that or some late night host from tv or something like that okay if, if it would benefit you if you could get your story out to more people but i would really study what what the game is there
0: yeah i'm pretty sure there's one copy that had my poem in it and i owned that copy but we will never really know it and again i was like 15 or 16 so i it's there's no reason i should have been in it i don't even know how i posted it but i was just i was just curious. So we are getting a little bit far along in the, in the interview. I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on failure? I mean, you've written a couple of books that have that deepened into failure. Do you have any overarching thoughts on failure you want to make sure you put forth towards the audience before we get to some of the more forward-looking, futuristic stuff, future fails and, and whatnot?
1: Yeah, future fails. Yeah, we, failure is part of life, It's part of the game. If you are great at something the first time, if you go out, if you try anything today for the first time and you're great at it, it was too easy for you. So my, I want to change that failure is, you should fail, right? If you're moving forward, if you're setting your goals big, you are going to fail on that path, right? Don't get discouraged, it's part of the process. You learn, for you can learn. Each one is really an opportunity. I like to think that I've felt so many times that I honestly think that in those moments when they are toughest, that like uh, a, like an athlete who sees clearer when a pitch is coming in in the ninth inning or something and everything outside is slowed down. That's how I feel about failure, where you will become, it's like a muscle, your acceptance, your willingness to take on those challenges becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. So don't fear it. Don't be ashamed of it. Put yourself out there and keep failing forward, fail up. That's what I, that's what I would say.
0: I definitely agree. And also when you do have any kind of success, well, a celebrate it and be try to figure out what failure led you to learn the lesson that you needed to, to get that success. Because a lot of times you can find out, Oh, well, if I hadn't learned this, that, and the other thing that I did wrong the first time, this wouldn't have happened. And uh, a lot of times you don't remember that when we're actually in the success, we're like, we did it. We're amazing. And we're like, Oh, it's really based on all these other things I messed up before that I'm now putting together the right way. And so um, I think reflecting back, not only when you're in failure mode, but when you're in success mode, about which failures kind of led you there, because that's when you can really kind of connect those dots a little bit better rather than just experiencing the downsides, which, you know, for
1: sure. And that's, that goes to be said for adversity, obstacles, challenges, setbacks, right. They're similar, but any one of those things is making you stronger It's making you more empathetic. It's making you more well-rounded. It's just an opportunity to to grow. And that's really how I would look at any of those.
0: I love the way you look at it. Now, as being a guest on the show, you get a get out of fail free card, which is very similar to the Monopoly card. I actually want to start making physical ones and sending it to people, but I haven't gotten there yet. And so I, I know you're very familiar with failure, but let's pretend you were going to cash in this card to pursue something that you think you avoided specifically because you knew you wouldn't succeed at it, or something you've always wanted to try out, but the amount of failure involved was just too much that you avoided it. Is there anything you'd use that card for?
1: I I base my whole life on never never avoiding conflict or challenge right so i i I, now there might be something but i do think i'm going for it i'm going for it i'm going for it so if i could hmm.
0: musician something in the arts something where it's a different form of creativity that you're not comfortable with painting i have no idea what the answer would be but okay so they're trying to stretch your mind
1: I, i the one thing one thing that i've really that I've wanted to do for a while. And I've never crested. I, I do some athletic stuff. I've done tough mothers. I've um, done many triathlons, all kinds of races and stuff like that. I have not yet done a marathon and it is something that I've had knee surgeries. I've had Achilles problems, but I'm also a believer excuse that everything other than action is, is BS. So in my own mind, I think I'm making excuses not to do it, right? I mean my dad rode bikes from Pennsylvania to Washington DC, right? So but this one thing, why, Ben, what is my problem? So I would take that and I would sign up and when I when I got to about mile 19 and my whole body was one big cramp, mm-hmm. I would cash that in at mile 19.
0: Oh man, you'd wait that long? Me. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't start at mile zero yeah, you wait <laughs> i want to
1: use it late so that it carries me to the finish line that's that's why i would use it
0: i like it yeah and what's the point of succeeding if you don't feel any of the pain along the way so I like when that. they
1: say uh pain what is it pain is failure leaving the body pain is fear leaving the body i think it's, it's one of those two i
0: don't know i like both of them though now, I guess the next one would be, what is your next big thing you're going to fail at? What's the next challenge, uh, big undertaking you're going to do that you haven't yet maybe tackled and, and might uh, slip uh, on your way to uh, to getting uphill?
1: You are going to love this. So as we, we started writing screenplays, because we started thinking that some stories may not be best told in book. Maybe they're best told on screen. So we started as a company working on screenplays. Now to do that, you can't just say you're going to write screenplays, you should know about the business. So Pennsylvania has a crazy tax credit right now. And they're doing a lot of filming in Pittsburgh and stuff like that. So years ago, I started being an extra and the lowest man on the totem pole, they'd, re- they'd replace me in scenes for a lamp. And then over COVID, I was a Stunt driver in a Jason Momoa movie. I didn't make the scene. The, it's Sweet Girl. So basically, I'm just blocking off traffic so they can do their cool stunts. So I didn't make it. And then during COVID, I, I got a role as a driver on the show. And I have a character named Jake. And I got no lines yet, right? So I'm hoping that I test well on screen and maybe get another. Maybe next year, they'll give me a line. But recently, I... I was supposed to be a umpire, a field ump in uh, a league of their a league of their own series they're making. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. So I can learn. I learn. I study. I get to read scripts, all this stuff. Like it's, you know, each time a little step up. So I get there one day, like five in the morning, you film for like 12 to 14 hours at a time. I get there and I'm like, oh, dom field umpire. They're like, no, you're spectator today. And I know because I've been... The extra. I know this isn't good, right? Because now I'm rather than a specific thing, I'm one out of a thousand. So, I they dress me up, funny bow tie and stuff like that, and give me a plastic hot dog to hold. So for two days, when it was ninety degrees, I had to hold a plastic hot dog, and and so I I laugh about it because on the other hand, I get it, man. It's part of the journey. You got to hold the plastic hot dog. I'm never gonna get to. How would I understand the set or write a story if I don't know how, to, how they're holding the camera and stuff like this? So sometimes you're low little man on the turtle pole and on my path. Sometimes you got to hold the hot dog. That's awesome. Typically, I like to use
0: uh, a quote related to failure but i might use hold the plastic hot dog as the name of the episode but we'll see
1: (laughs) that would get you views
0: there you go (laughs) so where can people go to find you these days what's the best place to point them to i know a couple answers but you might as well uh fill them in yourself
1: okay i'd like i like to tell people look up motivation champs anywhere on social media if you look up motivation champs whether it's tiktok instagram youtube websites Facebook. We're there in some capacity, 24 seven, sharing inspiration. Love to connect with you. Love to help you share your story. But, and if I'm not on a place, call me up, say, Dominic, you failed because I checked here and you're not there and we'll try to get on there as well.
0: Well, that sounds great. And do you have a uh, Instagram or anything like that that you want to plug or any other uh, forms of social media? I can put in the uh, show notes for sure.
1: Yeah, they're all, I'll, i it's motivation champs anywhere. So on all those platforms, I'll find all there. the links. Don't we're worry about. there, brother. Yeah,
0: I got you. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. I cannot wait to get your story out to uh, my audience and, uh, and I'm very happy that you decided to take the time to, uh, to share your very similar uh, affinity with failure um, with me. And I, I assume that you like me would call yourself a friend of failure.
1: Friend of failure. Thank
0: you. Well, I appreciate having you on and it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of six best online Excel classes of 2021, saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training.